from Daniel Studios in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's the Dennis Daniel Show. Tonight's guest, voice actor Billy West. And your announcer, me, Belle Dandy. And now, here's your host. He is Cincinnati's next big radio personality, Mr. Dennis Daniel. It's me, it's me, it's the good old Double D, and you are tuned into the hottest talk show on blogtalkradio.com. I am talking, of course, of The Dennis Daniel Show. I am your host. Not sure if voice actor talk show host or overly obsessive fanboy, Dennis Daniel. <laughs> Folks, this is the first installment of The Dennis Daniel Show for 2013, which means only one thing. It's time to crank it up a notch. That's right, we are celebrating five years on the air with the Old Taste Explosion, and we're going to push the envelope further than it's ever been pushed on this program. We're getting bigger guests, bigger names, and greater interviews than we can even talk about in just one episode. Because tonight on the Dennis Daniels Show, we have got iconic voice actor Billy West. Now, for those of you who don't know who Billy West is, we've put together a small demo reel of some of his better-known roles, so let's take a quick listen at what makes Billy West so incredible. Dad, do I have a birthday? Hmm, you didn't have a birth, so technically, no. Hmm. Oh, don't feel bad. We can celebrate the day I extracted you from the cloning tank, or the day I scraped your DNA from that grove from my back. Oh, that one. Ah, yes. It was 13 years ago next week. I used this very fork. Oh, well, isn't that... Look who's here, everyone. It's Zoidberg, the lovable tramp. Since when are you performing at children's parties? Performing? What? Please, if someone could spare me money to buy shoes... Kiff, I'm headed to the men's room and I'll be needing an attendant, so... Oh, I'm sorry. You're crying like a woman. <laughs> it's all right. I've always thought of myself as a father figure to some of my more pathetic men. Well... I'm in love with this girl. <laughs> ah, oh, that's rich. All right, troops. It is for us to choose a battlefield that affords us... Oh, I, I got it. Yes, Private Porkster. How about we use the channel to spelling me? Hey, we could have a bowling tournament. Lynn, you, you're angry? You dirt shooting! I'm angry! I have never been this angry in my entire life! Hey! I feel great! I love being angry! Thank you, Stimpy. Happy to be of service? <laughs> 
I tell you what, those are some incredible roles, and of course, he's done so much more. And I am so excited that he's on the program tonight, so without further ado, let's get into this. Oh boy, feel excited here, kids. My guest tonight is a very distinguished voice actor who many know as Fry, Farnsworth, and Zoidberg, among many other characters on the hit Comedy Central animated series Futurama, which new episodes return later this summer. You also know him as Ren and Stimpy from the iconic Ren and Stimpy, and Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd from the hit animated live-action movie Space Jam. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, give it up for the one, the only, Mr. Billy Wayne! Mr. West, thank you, and welcome to the Dennis Daniel Show. Wow, you know what you forgot? <laughs> I love that from the on the record scratching. What a long drum roll! Boy, yeah. do I appreciate well, that. I, I, wa- I wanted to do the, do the Zoidberg, Zoidberg, Z- 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 Zoidberg, 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 Zoidberg. Hey, need someone for a theme song? Why not Zoidberg? Why not Zoidberg for anything? But this is a truly. Huge... I'll eat the food from your stomach as soon as you die. <laughs> You should be the hottest talk show guy if you're not. I love your enthusiasm, man. But do you really want to wind up like like Jay Leno and stuff? Well, I don't know. I have a normal sized chin, but and then again, you could end up like a Letterman, uh, you know, with the whole hairpiece thing, or or Conan, and have Andy Richter follow you for the rest of your life. Yeah, I met uh, I met Jay a few. Th- I was on his show a couple of times. I only met David Letterman once, but. Um, I, I I can't imitate Letterman, but I used to do like Jay Leno. You know, I don't know if you saw this in the paper today. Uh, you know, the newspaper, it's got ink, you know, and crossword puzzle. Yeah, I know what the newspaper is. Yeah, yeah we'll be great time. Yeah, let's go ahead. Yeah, I don't know if you saw this today. There's a woman like in Ohio or something. She has the sweetest ass in town. I guess she's been diagnosed with uh, diabetes. <laughs> Oh, thank God I'm an atheist, huh, folks? We did a great show for you this evening. Oh, 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 gosh, man. We're not even two minutes into the show, and I'm dying. (laughs) (laughs) But, of course, again, you've been in all kinds of great stuff. I can remember my dad, you know, waking us up on Saturday morning. This is like when we were like five or six. (laughs) Yes, to watch one show and one show low. That's Ren and Stimpy, of course, a very iconic cartoon from the 90s. But, of course, we'll get into that a little bit later on in the program. Sure. So what got you interested in acting? Well, um, I think I think kids are natural actors because they don't know much. All they've got is their imagination. And that's pretty much what an actor um, you know, does. I mean, they, they rely on their imagination. They create fictional scenarios in their head, and they're able to comment on them according to their observations. And what they're doing is they're creating stuff that, that didn't exist before they just created it. Um, I love that process. I was always like that when I was a kid. I wanted to play music really bad. Anything I thought was cool had to do with like music and sonic um, observations. Like My world was a sonic world, less visual, but I was really sensitive to sounds and the way people talked and you know, noises and stuff. I was always running around to writing out voices and noises, and people would be like, can you not do that? You know, Not do it? 
that, that's one of the best things that you can do out there if you've got the if you got the gift, use it. I mean, I know. Too bad this isn't like that play our town where you could just go back there and go. I'll have you know that I make you know uh, a lot of money for screwing around, and you're telling me not to do it. I believe the technical term is suck it. Yeah. Right. Yes, well, well, look at you now. You got you're one of the most prestigious and established voice actors in the industry today, and you've wow. done all this great work. <laughs> and it's and no, no, I'm not. I'm I'm not trying to brown nose. I'm being dead honest here. You've been in some great shows that have just stood the test of time, and of course, we're getting to one of those right now. One of your earliest known roles is uh, both Ren Howitt and Simpson J Cat from the iconic Ren and Stimpy animated series. One of the First big cartoons on Nickelodeon in the 90s. So what was it like working on such a groundbreaking show, and how did you develop the voices for Ren and Stimpy? Um, well, you know, you never know that you're doing some kind of cultural phenomenon or that you're involved with some sort of crazy thing that's going to, you know, level everybody while you're doing it. There's no way you can know. You just you just know if you're having fun or not. Um, and uh, I get drawings sent to me. I lived in New York and John Chris Felusi lived out in uh, here in Hollywood actually. And um I worked with him on a show called Beanie and Cecil. It was a redo of a nineteen eighty no, excuse me, nineteen sixties cartoon show. And um it was a big lovable sea serpent and he would go, I'm coming to save you, Beanie boy You know, and um and then that got cancelled um and what happened was uh, John Kay uh, remembered me from that uh, encounter, and he sent me a couple of drawings of these characters he was working on, new characters. And, you know, and he, and he always remembered that I did an impression of Larry Fine, um, and he loved it. And so he wanted me to do that kind of voice, only amped up, more childlike, more cartoony. And uh, originally he wanted me to do the voice of Ren, um, and I auditioned, actually, I did a tape in a closet over at MTV, um, and uh, it was like an audition tape, and he was going in to sell the show to play the uh, the tape of what we had just done in a broom closet because there was no recording studio available to us. And, uh, you know, the, the descriptions were like a Peter Laurie-type asthma hound chihuahua, quintessential a-hole, um, you know, not mostly negative things um and then sometimes morphing into like a Kirk Douglas or a uh Burl Ives um you know that kind of stuff and I whatever it is I did sold the show because he said congratulations what you just did sold the show but he decided that he probably was going to do it all along was the Ren voice um so I didn't do it in the first season part of the second season I I did both of them for the 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 rest of the run. Um, but I mean, Stimpy was just kind of a brain dead cat um, that, you know, was sensitive and overjoyed. They real childlike, you know, Hey, Ren, will you button me? Will you shut up, you fool? Yes, I should kill you. And uh, it was a it was sort of a comedy team from hell, you know, like, like Salvatore Dali meets Pee Wee's Playhouse or something. They used to describe it like that. Well, I don't know what what it was, but it became a success, and you know, just you just brought those two characters to life. And one thing that I remember is uh, Ren's maniacal laugh, and it was just 
so psychotic, but it was funny. My dad would actually try to do the laugh. Of course, he couldn't do it, but it was it'd still be a worth a hoot to laugh, to watch. And of course, you know you, that that show was just simply beautiful. And I think you know a lot of the cartoons nowadays should go back to that kind of style. And of course, with standards then, and we were talking with Tom Kinney about this last month because he worked yeah. on Rocco's Modern Life. And, they, you know, there was so much you get away with in the 90s that you could never, ever get away with today, and that's a real shame. Yeah, I don't get it. You know, I mean, we're supposed to we're supposed to evolve and become more open-minded, and what happened was uh, all of a sudden we, we, we just started to tighten up everything. And, uh, you know, I mean, originally, like, Ren and Stimpy was all bringing back the original kinds of things that made cartoons fun. And what you saw was um, a second chance at reviving that old spirit. You know, so you would love the old stuff, real old stuff, you know, from the 40s and 50s. Yes, I... I and 60s, actually. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> 60s. But, I mean, today, I don't know what... You know, I see, like, cartoons that have artwork that looks like children's refrigerator drawings, you know, like refrigerator art. And the producers themselves want to do the voices or the creators, you know, and it's like, hey, Jim, how you doing? Oh, I'm okay. What? You know, that kind of stuff. Tom, Kenny, who's who's one of my best friends, um, we always talk about this stuff that we get called upon to do stuff that's so out of whack and out of range for most people. And you got to be just willing to, to throw yourself on the line and just, you know, tackle it. Um there was a little bit of resent for like, you know, actors and actresses coming in doing voices because they don't bring anything to it except who and what they are, mostly. They don't like disembody themselves and become a totally different sonic creation because um, they just don't have the ability. I mean, um, you know, it's like alchemy. For a cartoon character to work, um, there has to be alchemy. Something's got to change drastically depending on the cartoon character. It cannot be you. It can't think like you. It doesn't have your history. It's just a total brand new thing that, that people, you hope people will believe it, that there's some truth in it somehow in your performance. And, uh, you know, they call me and Tommy and Jim Cummings and Jess Harnell, Maurice LaMarche, John DiMaggio, every, everybody I know in, and they they go, okay, you see that lead bar on the table? We need you to turn it into gold. And that's what you do. And when you leave, that lead bar is gold. I think when you know actors, stage and screen actors or whatever, come in to do a voice, the, the bar is still lead, in my opinion, when they leave the room. Um, there was no alchemy. There was no magic, nothing. You know, I mean, that's a huge element to me. And uh, it sort of invalidates what we do for a living. And I'm not trying to sound like, you know, like Dick Cheney, like, ah, you know, angry about everything, like an old geezer. But um, it's a craft. It was an art, and I just hate to see it go bye-bye. Yeah, well, if I can say one thing, you don't turn into gold, you turn into freaking diamonds. I got <laughs> to say that. I got to say that. And I, 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 I bet you were pretty uh, pretty ticked off when you uh, heard Chris Rock talking about, you know, I just get behind a microphone and just be me and just do what I do. And, and like, and I, I'm, I, I'm watching this. I'm like, what? No, 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 no. That's not what voice acting is. You got guys like Tom Kenny and Billy West and Eric Stewart who are 
pouring their heart and soul into this to make characters that we remember, and you're voicing a zebra? This is coming from a guy who in the 80s did the dark side with Nat X, and that was a character. You know, he's kind of forgetting that. He's just, I, I think he's forgetting that aspect of, of acting. Well, I think a lot of comics uh, think that they're they're like romantic leads that should be, you know, uh, the romantic interest in a movie and don't want to do comedy. Um the whole thing about him doing voices, you know, I don't care what he does, actually. I mean, I wish him all the luck in the world, which I do everybody. Um, you know, I don't say, I'm not saying that, you know, that they shouldn't be doing anything. That's just my opinion of the whole situation. But um, when he said that, everybody else that I know got bent out of shape. But, you know, I mean, he's in show business. And, you know, you can just, you need something to say when you show up somewhere. And that's what he said. I don't know if he if he feels that way personally or not, because, um, you know, everything's kind of a front in, in show business. Well, it just sounds like, you know, that was kind of like a middle finger to all the voice actors who pour their heart and soul into their their talent. And don't I don't me, know, Dennis Daniels, you're uh, pretty sensitive. <laughs> hey, I'm not sensitive. I'm just saying, you know. I know. You're, you're protective of me, and I love it. Yeah, I mean, you guys don't make <laughs> the eight-figure salaries for, for the movies that, that these guys make. Oh, believe me, I've seen them come rolling down from Mount Olympus or wherever they live, and they we, they breeze into the studio and, you know, spend less than two weeks doing some kind of animated feature, and, and it's like, okay, where's my $30 million? And what I love the most is that when that movie gets an animated spinoff series, it's usually you guys coming in to do the voices and not yeah, them. Yeah, there's, there's no money in it for them then. Yes, I, I I don't get how, you know, Osmosis Jones, starring Chris Rock, when he gets turned over to Ozzy and Drix, you know, they get Phil Lamar, who, by the way, is an awesome voice actor, by the way. Oh, yeah, Phil is – they're all my favorites. You have no idea how – in what high esteem I hold the voice people that I know. Yeah, um, but, and there are people that I that I don't know, but I like their work. I love their work. Yes, but I don't see how they make remotely less – than the guy that they're trying to bring in. And that's really an insult, you know, because you're doing the same thing that they're doing, but, it, you know, it, it just seems to me like it's an injustice in the world. But then again, well, you know, I, I guess you have to, I guess that's kind of how the world works nowadays. Um, I don't know. If you're going to do a sound alike, the producers can always go, look, he wants all this money, but, but like guys like him, I, mean, I can find 100 guys in town that can do Chris Rock. That's what they they're likely to say, you know, and so they don't understand why we're, um, you know, gnashing our teeth or something, which which we're, we're really not. I mean, I just, I don't want to see the craft go away. I, I want to know that there's a 19-year-old firebrand out there that no one's ever heard or seen that could have the opportunity to walk in and blow the doors off of a recording studio. To me, that's the, that's the romanticized version of what I always thought, like a Mel Blanc, you know, he banged on the door over and over and over again at Warner Brothers. Listen, I just want to show you what I can do. And they were like, we got all the voice people we need. Meanwhile, they had a couple of, you know, schlubs that, <laughs> you know, they were unimpressive to say the least. But, you know, he kept going there and going there. And one day he went in and just because he had that chance, he blew them out of their seats. Just, you know, he, he tore the building down just by going through his antics and his characters and um, to me, that's magic, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's actually a great transit. Blogtalkradio.com. This is the Dennis Daniels Show. We've got voice actor Billy West on the air, and he just gives a great transition into our next question. You're also known as the voice of Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd in the live-action animated movie Space Jam, which starred Michael Jordan. What was it like working on the movie and playing one of the biggest cartoon icons of all time? Um, I was kind of nervous. I mean, I did audition like everybody else did, and I was surprised that I got the role. Um, but I came in and did the audition for Ivan Reitman, and I, I was willing to ruin my voice for a good performance. In other words, they had Bugs screaming uh, something to Michael Jordan, and I just let it fly. And uh, I think he was impressed with my my willingness to just destroy myself for, for art or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, and I got to work with Michael Jordan, Doc, the closest thing to a religious figure that we have. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, and I did that for about 10 years. And then, but the thing is, there's always been different guys doing bugs. You know, I can't lay claim to that character. That character is yours for the day. You know, if you're a day player. Um, or a hired voice guy, you know, they can always, like, get someone else if they don't like what you're doing. And it's like nobody, I don't think any voice person owns it because the best work was created before any of us were born. Um, I don't do bugs now, but my friend Jeff Bergman, who's a brilliant uh, no-blank technician and voice guy, um, he's doing bugs now uh, for a Warner Brothers series, and I wound up doing Elmer Fudd. To me, Elmer Fudd was just hysterically funny because he's like he's like an eight-year-old with a a gun you know and the hat with flaps on it and he's like a little kid he's like shh be very very quiet i'm hunting wabbits <laughs> you know and then he goes from like being eight years old to like uh turning into psycho man you know all right say your prayers wabbit come out of that hole <laughs> you got me doc Things are getting dark. Dark. Ugh. I think I'm going to kick the bucket. Ugh. Away. The rabbit kicked the bucket. The rabbit kicked the bucket. The rabbit kicked the rabbit. The rabbit kicked the bucket. The bucket kicked the rabbit. The rabbit kicked the rabbit. Yeah, I had to finish the scene. That's how it went in one of the old cartoons. Um, but, but Elmer Fudd... Um, you know, it's to me he's hysterical. I think that the you ever see that guy? He's on YouTube. Just look up um, Arthur Q. Bryan, and he and he sort of really sounds like that in real life. You know, he's on YouTube and he's doing like some monologue from a 1930s short subject, uh, probably some ten or five minute film, and he's just sitting there talking to you, telling a story. You know, and I I just love it. I love it. Yes, well, I've always been in love with periphery and and freak stuff and just you know off the nose. Now you're doing Elmer Fudd on the new Looney Tunes show, and you know he's not shown a lot on there. I mean, I thought the grilled cheese music video or the Merry Melody it was just perfect. It was. Just, oh, thanks. Gosh, thank uh, you very much. I I I, I kind of had to struggle over that because because um, there's like melodies in that song and nuances that that. You know, Mel, I mean, uh, Arthur Q. Bryan never did. You can only go by what you you heard him do, and now all of a sudden he's like Barry White, and that was kind of a challenge. But I, but I loved it. Hey, I, I think it was simply perfection. Uh... <laughs> 
I suck. I know I can't do it. But anyway, don't hey. make fun of my lateral wisp. Why would I do that? Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Okay. Anyway, speaking of all the all of the freak stuff, that translates into our next question. Your best known current roles are Philip J. Fye, Professor Farnsworth, and Doctor Zoidberg from the hit series Futurama, which, by the way, new episodes return this summer to Comedy Central. So, what is it like working on that show? And what do you think of your main character, Fry? I I absolutely love working on that show. I loved when we started. I think we I think we did our first table read in 1998. So. We've been on forever, but it just doesn't seem like that. And uh, every time the show got renewed, we were just so happy because we love working together. Everybody is so talented and so funny. I, I go to school when I'm watching people like Tress McNeil and you know, Johnny and Phil and Dave Herman, who you don't hear much about, uh, is incredible. I mean, at table reads, he'll they'll give him some character that he he does Scruffy the janitor. But at table reads, they'll give him various characters that are just like one-offs, and and he can kill you with one word as the character. And I mean, we just fall down laughing hysterically. He just has that that knack. Uh, Maurice Lamarche is is like this treasure trove of voices. Um, Katie Segal is a musician, like I am or was. And uh, I went to see her sing one night, and I was practically crying. She was so good, so beautiful. And uh, she gets to do a lot of singing in the show. And I love her voice. It's just kind of big, and it fills the entire screen. Uh, my role's on it. Um, I, the Philip J. Fry voice, when I went to audition, um, you know, they said, uh, Matt Granning wants you to audition for his new show. And, you know, I said, I don't know if he knows who I am. He goes, he knows who you are. And I said, well, tell him I kind of I kind of know who he is, too. And... Uh, Went over there and just let it fly. Um, Philip J. Fry was based on my own voice, which seems to pop in and out now and then when I get excited, uh, when I was 25. You know, I was 13 and I got my working papers. That's perfect. And, uh, you know, shut up and take my money. I was, I was always, like, uh, kind of inert. Uh, and then all of a sudden I'd get mad over nothing. You know, I guess that goes with being... Um, I don't know, what was I, clinically depressed? I find out at 50 years old that I had lived my whole life <laughs> being like chronic low-level depression. And you don't know it because, you know, it never occurs to you. You're just so busy doing crazy stuff. And I suppose that was to avoid the way I felt personally about anything. I was, um, I remember never really being happy. Um, the only thing that brought me any kind of joy was performing. Um the professor was based on odd assortments of wizards and and old doddering men, you know, kind of an amalgam. And, uh, you know, he'd be saying, you know, like, good news, everyone, bad news. I was going to check, you know, sort of doddering. He's 147 years old and he's got skin wrapped around him. He looks like, I always thought he looked like airplane food. You know? Yeah, what's the deal with that? This piece of chicken they give you with skin wrapped around it. The bone. Maybe we should change the joke from what's the deal with airline food to what's the deal with Hubert J. Farnsworth. I know. Ever notice everything? Him as a stand-up comedian would be funny. I don't know. With his bone structure, you know, it kind of be hard to stand up. More like a stand-up yeah, crack fall-over. 
There you go. And of course, of that. course, the piece of the resistance of Futurama, of course, Zoidberg, which everyone loves. Um, Zoidberg is researchable. Um, he's sort of a fusion between a couple of uh, you know Borscht Belt uh, Yiddish theater um, burlesque comics. Uh, one was named Lou Jacoby, and the other was George Jessel. And they're both on YouTube, if you look up their names. And they both, what I loved about the two of those guys, even when I was a kid, was they were like marble mouth guys. Like, I'm telling you, if you don't listen to me, I don't care if you take my advice or not, but you're going to get hurt. You know, and I just love that so much and uh, the Yiddishisms. And I remember when I was a kid, um, I loved those because I used to hear them all the time when I was growing up. I'd be in like a department store basement just looking for something for my girlfriend and they'd be having some crazy sale and you know i'd be looking around but it'd be all frantic women tearing apart the, the bins and the clothing and like a frenzy and i saw this beautiful girl out of all the old biddies in there i was so busy looking at her as she walked by i smacked into a beam you know that supported the entire building this was the basement um I know, that's and all of a sudden this woman came by and she looked at me and she went with it you're going steady you know, and I I just love stuff like that. And Zoidberg has a lot of those. Um, you know, but he but it's you cross him with George Jessel, he sounds like this or Myron Cohen. You could listen to that guy too. You know, young lady, bring me a sandwich from the dumpster and leave the maggots on it. <laughs> I, I love the curlier though. <laughs> yeah, that comes from the Three Stooges. Everything I do has some roots in the Stooges. To me, those guys were saints. Like on, on Mount Rushmore, I, I I don't know, I'm disappointed that it was never like Moe, Larry, and Curly, and Shemp. I know. Forget about Joe Besser. Forget about Joe Dorita. Yeah. Hey, Moe! Yeah. <laughs> um, well, hey, Moe! I pissed on my shoe. Come out of with you. Uh, no. Gosh, why do I not have the sound effects on this on the on the on the server? Man, that'd be perfect. Oh, you don't need them. So, uh, speaking of the Three Stooges, I, I want to know what did you think of the movie they they re they released last year? You know, I thought it was it was funny as hell. Oh, um, there were, you know there were people that just hated it, but um, it was very hard to come up with a reason to make that movie, and so what it became in my opinion, is just this very loving tribute to those guys. I was a consultant on that movie, by the way. Oh, cool. And I had to teach Sean Hayes everything about Larry Fine. And it was the craziest thing because we were watching episodes, and I said, you see how he did this? He's so subtle. And look at this little move here and everything. And he was like an open book. He was like a sponge, and he, he just was... Uh, perfect as Larry. I mean, I, I it was as close as anybody I've ever heard. Um, and he had the nuances and everything. The Mo I never met, but he was hysterical and he was scary as Mo. I mean, it was it was like an illusion that you that you bought. Um, Will Sasso, I got to speak to on Skype, telling him a few things about this, about Curly. How you know he says, "Tell me something I don't know about Curly." I said, "Here's something you probably don't know: is when he was 13." Um, he shot himself in the foot, which is such a stooge thing to do. And, um, yeah, and, and whenever you see him, when Mo and Larry take off out of the frame, Mo will whistle and Curly, Curly's like slow, and he got to turn around and chase after them. If he's, if he's running or trotting, he's, he does it with a limp 
because he shot himself in the foot. I, and, never, uh, I never noticed that. Yeah, yeah, you I'll can watch, watch him. He just, like, he, I don't know, it's just fun to go back and, and see all these things that are verifiable. You know, I love I love the Three Stooges. You know they were funny, just but this generation just just doesn't seem to get it. A week before the movie came out, they decided to put the Three Stooges on Monday Night Raw, and guess what the audience did? They what? booed them. Yeah. They booed the Three Stooges. I'm like, yeah. Like what, what? 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 They were doing some classic slapstick with a guy named Santino Morella, and I was I was laughing. I was holding my side because it was so funny. And these guys, it was a Washington D.C. crowd, so they were so obviously they were dead. It was it was a dead crowd. Just you know, just maybe the wrong audience, the wrong target. I thought you know it was, what it is. It's like nobody's bad or good. The audience isn't the villain, and the performers don't stink. It's just a bad fit. <laughs> I, well, yeah, in the end. You know what I mean? Yeah, in the end, I mean, uh, Will Sasso got chokeslammed by a guy named Kane, so I guess that, yeah. Yeah, I guess WWE and slapstick comedy, you know, just aren't, it's like, it's like trying to plug a, a plug a uh, American lab into a European outlet. No connection. Yeah, right. It doesn't fit. But, you know, well, I like thought a, it was great. I thought it was Well, great. you know, I, I loved the movie just because it was the Stooges and, uh, I was happy to be involved in it in the little way that I was. Um, uh, I don't. I knew it was going to be so super hard to come up with like a reason to make the movie other than that the people that did it purely did it out of the love of those three guys and their comedy. Um, you know that kind of thing. But yeah. I love all the guys that would go, "Where are those three new men?" It'd always be like some voice of authority. And then you then you zoom over and you see the Stooges. It's like it's like you don't know it's there, but then you know. Yep. Only um, guys like they're not for everybody. I mean, nowadays, but I've seen so many instances where they'll show one at a at an old theater. You know, be a revival, and I'll see old people and their parents. I'll see guys that are my age. I'll see younger guys in their forties and thirties, and I see kids, and they are all like. Totally on the same page, watching and laughing hysterically. I guess it's for a rare breed, Mister West. That you know. Yeah, I guess. It's just. It's just. I guess we all we all have our influences. I mean, I was. My biggest influences were um, comedians that did characters like Sid Caesar and Jonathan Winters. Um, those guys used to fracture me. I saw a show of shows aired in the 1950s. And I saw it in real time when I was a little kid. And my mom would let me stay up to watch this crazy man, Sid Caesar. And uh, I got to meet him finally after all these years. And you know, when you meet your idol, your knees are just knocking. Happened a few times. Les Paul, Jeff Beck. Oh, God, I could go on. Um, I know, I know, I could go on too. But anyway, we'll wrap the interview up. Um, uh, are there any new shows or projects that you're working on that you can tell us about? You know, I'm a little resentful because you forgot to ask me about Zap Brannigan. I know, eh? Zap, but we only have half an hour. You know, we'll have to have, we'll have, to have you back on during the summer of Bigger Biggerness 3. To, to yeah, we can do that. Yes, cause, we can do that. Because we got to talk about Zap Brannigan, the world's greatest lover. She's a beautiful ship, all right. I'm going to fly her brains out. That's what she said. Yeah. Oh gosh. Of course, I also loved um, Richard Nixon's head, and just just when you say Agnew, Agnew, you know it. That was um, the reason I chose to do Nixon like that, which it doesn't sound like him really at all if you listen to him. But 
when I when I was a kid, I was watching the debates between John Kennedy and Richard Nixon, and Nixon was losing bad. And first of all, he looked terrible on television. He was sweaty, and Kennedy's face was perfect. You know, he had those ultra bright smile and the buttered toast hair. You know, he was made for TV. And and Nixon, when I looked at him, he was going through these weird little changes, like he started to get five o'clock shadow. And I said to my mom, Mom, I think he's going to turn into a werewolf. You know, because he looked like something was going on with him, and that's—I remembered that, and I was always thinking, "It's probably what he would say if he was turning into a werewolf." Yeah. I'll have nothing to do with those filthy hippies. Yeah, if he looked bad on TV in that standard, imagine seeing yeah. him in HD. He'd be like, "Lord in heaven Almighty, the crypt keeper." Yeah, honest to God, um, it was just. Um, I don't know. I was lucky enough to catch a lot of the old days stuff and have it influence me to this day, even though I'm kind of a progressive. Um, you know, but I, I, I love the craft I do. I'm in love with it. I I respect it, and I have passion for it, which I never lost. And I, I know, believe me, I meet them. There's kids out there that they were inspired by what me and, and the other guys do and the other ladies that are doing voices do. And it means the world to them. And to me, that gives me heart that they're going to keep coming and they're going to, you know, not go away. You know, it's so amazing that just the, just the, the new generation of voice actors that are trying to get their mark in there. Um, on our show, we, we regularly feature skits with uh, up-and-coming voice actors, depending on the guests we have. Our mm -hmm. announcer, Belle Dandy, is a girl who wants to be a voice actor herself. So we're like, you know, we know we're going to have her voice actors on. You know, why not give Dennis a, a permanent announcer who's a goddess? I'm like, well, self, sign me up. Awesome. So now I have a right. goddess as my announcer for life. And that's, hey, and the best part, you don't got to pay goddesses. But, you know, I think the new generation, and with such advances with YouTube and SoundCloud, you know, a new generation mm -hmm. is being found, and they're bringing people in from YouTube to, you know, start doing these. And maybe, just maybe, in the near future, you'll get a chance to work with some of the big names that are on YouTube. Um, well, I, I know what it feels like. I mean, one day I went from zero to 60. It just kind of happened, and, and I found myself walking into a room with guys I heard when I was a kid. Um, and I thought, oh my God! And and they're almost looking at you like with open arms, like we've been saving a seat for you. That's how I felt. That's beautiful. Yeah. Pure in the eye there. But um, <laughs> okay. But anyway, uh, like I said, do you are there any uh, new uh, projects or shows you're working on that you can tell us about? Um, well, I can tell you that um, this Sunday I, I have a commercial in the Super Bowl. Yes, because you're the red M and M. The red M and M. Have you ever eaten me? Yes. See, oh, oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, right. Like but the commercial is hysterically funny. I'm not going to give it away, but believe me, it's in the first quarter, so no matter what happens during the game, you'll you'll probably see it. That's got to be cool, though. To, to, you, you are the voice of the red freaking Eminem, and you've been doing this for <laughs> a while now. And you're an, icon, you're an iconic figure in television, and now your voice is going to be heard in one of the biggest advertising nights of the year. I mean, a, a one-minute promo alone in this year's Super Bowl runs you $8 million. So, I mean, if anyone doubts the, uh, the supreme <laughs> voice acting ability of William West, well, just uh, watch no further than this Sunday's Super Bowl. 
I appreciate it, but I have to tell you something. When it gets to that point where your voice seems to be everywhere, I talk to the other guys about this when they hear themselves when they turn on the radio, doing commercials or TV. It's sort of surreal. I, I ask them if they feel the same way, and they do. It's like they have to compartmentalize to enjoy it because if they listen to it as themselves with that critical eye um, for performance, um, you'll get self-conscious. You'll say, oh, my God, I can't believe they let that out. You know, like, oh, I should have done this, I should have done that. So you have to pretend to be somebody else and be totally non-object, uh, you know, totally non-judgmental. Uh, which is, you know, it's just surreal when you hear your stuff everywhere. And, uh, you know, I'm just, there's a lot of, I'm very lucky as well, you know, that I that I was able to do the things I'm doing because, um, you know, for a while there in cartoons, if you heard a gang of people, there'd be 25 names in the credits as people who did voices. But, you know, now it's getting back to like there's four people creating heavens and hells and you 